the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> yeah, boy. And yeah, this podcast is a uh, celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man himself being Adam Terrell. Booyah. Booyah, indeed. How's things Booyah. going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Just trying to get all these millions of projects together but uh i'm happy that at least one of them that we're talking about today is uh is done and dusted yeah for sure i mean the reaction that i've seen from people about this whole director's company series that you're doing has been really excited um and i was looking through the so you've got a little sort of inset booklet on this new release uh, that Jasper Sharp wrote, and it's got the filmography on the back, and there's so many amazing films in there. And I'm not for a second, like you know, predicting that you're going to get all of them, but the, the the prospect of getting any of them is pretty exciting. Yeah, there there are some in the pro. Some aren't just aren't good, to be honest. And there's some I was looking at, and I was like, I've got I could get the rights to these quite easily, but the film's a bit crap. So um, let me move on to something else in the meantime. Uh, I mean, there's some absolute bangers in there, though. Like, so obviously you've got some Sogoishi stuff, uh, loads of uh, Shinji Somai, um, and yeah, some of the some of the Kyoshi Kurosawa things. I was looking at the whole like um, Kandagawa Pervert Wars fiasco that he kind of reimagined into Bumpkin Soup, right? Well, is it uh, Kandagawa Pervert Wars was his own film as a maybe that was a pink film or roman porno i was speaking to somebody about it the other day and i had all this in- very inf- interesting information and then it's just completely forgotten but um but the, the uh, bumpkin soup or the excitement of the uh do- dorefimi dorefimi yeah. la yes a uh, girl that was actually supposed to be a nikatsu roman porno and he made a film that was so strange that nikatsu sort of disowned it and uh it ended up being its own own sort of independent oddity yeah, that's what I heard. And he was kind of like blacklisted a little bit within the industry for a while, right? Um, uh, but yeah, and then God from Underground was basically the first film he made after all of that fiasco. No, he made, he made Sweet Home, which was a big, even bigger fiasco. Um, the the uh, Ito Junji film that he made. Uh, 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 that, I mean, Ito Junji is, you know, the manga artist behind uh, things like uh, Uzumaki and... Uh, uh, Gyo, uh, Tok- uh, he's, he's a very, very big uh, manga artist, but he mm. had this project, Sweet, Sweet Home, that, that uh, Kurosawa was hired to do, and they just fell out big time about like sort of the vision of the film. Right. And the, the rights, I think like it was it was a Toho production, I believe, that also was a production from Ito Junji. And I think Toho took the side of Ito Junji and sort of like screwed over Kurosawa <laughs> because of that. And uh, I think, it, yeah, it... Um, because it was a very big, big product production, and I think it really sort of made him to go in to make a film like God of from Underground afterwards. Well, I mean, I, I've seen Sweet Home, and I thought it was awesome. Although I just watched the kind of you know poor VHS rip on YouTube, I think. Um, but it was kind of like uh, pitched as the uh, like the origin of survival horror. So you know that game Resident Evil that's now one mm. of the biggest franchises in gaming. Um, yeah, that Resident Evil was basically like a reimagining of what he did with Sweet Home, I think. 
So the whole like, you know, uh, puzzles to open locked doors and like hidden rooms and, you know, obstacles to overcome and items to collect and all that sort of shit. That's all in that film. Yeah, and it's a pity that that, that shit uh, VHS YouTube version is sort of the only way to see it because of all these legal problems with the film. I mean, it's it's. I think it's just it's it's just another example of another director's company film that is a mess to deal with, and all these films, for the most part, have just been a mess to deal with, uh, and they're still going on. I mean, uh, I think God from Underground was actually one of the easiest ones to deal with because, well, to go back to the to the to the talking about these directors company films and how this project came up was the producer of the guard from underground a guy, a guy called takashi ikoma who's interviewed on the disc uh, he found all these long lost negatives negatives mm. are the original film that's used to make um the uh the positives and uh, that are used for cinemas but the negatives are the the original film so they're 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 most in most times they're, they're pretty much untouched and they're the best form to, to have the film. And he found nine negatives of directors' company films like uh, Typhoon Club, God from Underground, Door, and all these other things. And um, he was able to take some rights for himself, um, give other rights to others. And in the case of God from Underground, Toei took the rights, and Toei has recently been quite easy to work with. So, like they sorted it out and it was really easy to to work with actually uh the easiest of all these director company films and in, in fact it, it was the last director's company film yeah yeah well yeah we we're just talking about that off mic weren't we um i actually didn't realize that but this was the the very last film that they released um and you were saying that they were like going into liquidation as the film was getting made or something wasn't it <laughs> yeah and i think like the film was was being made then the company went under and then the company, there was no company when the film was essentially sort of finished. So they had to get the, this um, this company called Atine France, which is like a sort of cultural center that for some reason took the rights on to actually distribute it at the time, because otherwise there was no company that would have even distributed it. So thanks to that company, it even got out there in the first place. And then I think, you know, Kurosawa went on to do all these uh, big proper films and I yeah. think we, I think he's a bit embarrassed about making this like sort of B movie slasher film at, you know, <laughs> and I think he didn't it was sort of got forgotten about for the longest of times oh yeah it's a funny one right because I I was looking at the letterbox reviews before I saw the film just to see what the kind of general consensus was and everyone kind of gives it this kind of middling score you know oh there's there's early things about Kurosawa in here that are great but you know, it's also um, very mid in his filmography. So I went into it very kind of muted expectations and ended up just absolutely loving it. And I think what it's come down to um, in retrospect is the fact that I grew up and I just love, you know, those 70s and 80s uh, American horrors, you know, like the Wes Cravens and the Toby Hoopers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, even the uh, the John Carpenter, like Michael Myers stuff, like a lot of the 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 guard in here reminds me of you know Michael Myers and the mask that just kind of stalks the halls. Um, but yeah, I rewatched it before recording this today, and I still think it's fucking awesome. I just really, really like it. There's something about it that I just vibe with. Um, yeah. I think, like you said, if you go in with a certain level of expectations, I think if you go in after watching something like Cure and you're like, well, let me watch another Kurosawa film, then you're going to hate it. But if you sort of go in with that same mindset of like, well, this was Kurosawa wanting to make a B-movie film, and at the time there wasn't really 
those sort of films in Japan. So even even though it does seem quite dated, it was also a bit ahead of its time uh, for Japan, and, yeah, for sure. and and it is cheesy, and the music is really cheesy. <laughs> but that, that, like, I think you if you have that in your mind, you just sort of like let it let, have fun with it. Then it's quite it's quite a fun film. But um, yeah, if you if you're expecting a Cure or a Cairo or something, then you're going to be very disappointed. For sure. I mean, it is interesting to look at it uh, within his filmography because I was kind of, I haven't seen all of his stuff by any stretch, right? Because he did a lot of crazy stuff. Like, I think it was really common uh, for directors in Japan to go from like V cinema and pink films into kind of, um, you know, the more director video stuff and then, and then slowly get up there. But I know he did Sweet Home. Um, and then after this, he did that Yakuza Taxi. And then he did that whole series of films where they're called uh, Suit Yourself or Shoot Yourself, was it? Mm, yeah. So kind of more like uh, Yakuza kind of action-y films. Um, but then obviously he went on to do Door 3, uh, which was actually a sequel, wasn't it, rather than Door 2 being a retroactive sequel. To be honest, actually, I've never seen Door 3 because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I've, re- I've seen one and two, obviously. and, and But... um. Because I think the only way to see it that people seem to be watching it is like on YouTube or something like that or some awful print. So I just never thought, I thought I'd wait till there's like a proper way to see it or see it in the cinema in Japan or something. Uh, so I just never got around to seeing it. But um, so, yeah, I, 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 I was watching, obviously, when we were, talk, we were watching, um, speaking to Jasper Sharp last episode and uh, with their film, Door 3 Appears, in, in the documentary, the J-Horror, uh, yeah. what's it, the J-Horror Virus. So... From there, I saw I learned a bit more about it, but I haven't seen it myself. I mean, it's it's really wild, man. It's like a vampire film, technically, but yeah, it's pretty cool. But then, so if he made The Guard from Underground in '92, and Cure came out in '97, I want to say, and then from there, he obviously did like Serpent's Path and Eyes of the Spider, which he released on mm. DVD back in the day, and obviously from there, he became, you know, one of the if not one of the greatest uh, modern directors out of Japan, which is just astonishing. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, doing things, especially things like Tokyo Sonata, which which won in Cannes, and that really put him on a, a new level. Uh, became he, Instead of just a, a, a horror director, he became this sort of like, you know, art house director. And now the films he's doing recently, especially making films in France and Russia and all that, are, are like, uh, yeah, very art house and fancy but um that's why you know with when this film was discovered uh, as it was these these negatives were discovered in 2021 by this this guy and at the tokyo film festival in 2022 they played a lot of these directors company films they did a sort of mini retrospective of the director's company mm. and they had kurosawa do a talk about card from underground which is on the blu-ray actually yeah <laughs> there's barely any talk about god from underground <laughs> In the talk show, which is basically a talk show for the film Guard from Underground that's screening there, because I think he's just, I think because he's this like art house can award winning film festival that director nowadays doesn't really want to talk about this this sort of <laughs> very low 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 grade uh, slasher film, but um you know it's yeah. it's there and and it's it's also important in that sort of because he was a founding member of the director's company and this was the last director's company film and. Uh, whether you know it, it's it's still got his name out there uh so it can't no, be forgotten for sure and i mean the actual like you said the fact that it was uh remastered from the negative it really shows because like the transfer on this thing is unbelievable like one of the best upgrades i've seen in a long long time 
Yeah, I mean, having the negatives is that pure way of, oh, you still need to color grade them and uh, all that. But if you have a negative, you, you can really, and if it's in good shape, which most of them are, you know, you can really make something good out of it. But the funny thing about all these direct company negatives is that the negative is the film, right? It's not the uh-huh. sound, uh, especially if they're shot on like 16 millimeter or something, which which a lot of these are. So the sounds of these, you uh, on most of these directors company films are all pretty poor quality, to be honest. And I mm. think like, like door was like gotten off VHS. The sound was from VHS. The film was like was like an, from the negative, and it looks beautiful, but the sound is awful. And I think this is <laughs> like um, you know they had like they had the the good um, the good vid- the visuals are can be good because you've got that negatives, but uh, the soundtracks uh, aren't that improved to be honest. Interesting, and there's not much you can do really in post, is there? Other than play with the levels a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. Um, you know that these. What can you do? What can you, they're not. We aren't going to get five point one uh, or any of that. Just, uh, but I guess it's sort of the the crapness of the sound does sort of work well with this film because the the, the crapness of the music that is that is used. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to that now, though. Like I've been watching. I've been going on like a Hong Kong Category Three season this month, um, just because it's a massive blind spot for me. There's some of my favorite films are Hong Kong Cat Three, but there's so many I hadn't seen. And the one thing they've all got in common is they've all got absolutely horrendous music. And it, a lot of it doesn't even make sense tonally to what's going on on screen. So it's like really jaunty, bouncy beats while someone's getting like raped or beating the shit out of and things like that. It's really, really strange. Yeah, music's expensive, you know, uh, to, to either buy the rights to music to, to use or to make new music from scratch, you know. So I think it becomes a bit of an afterthought for a lot of... Uh, people at that time you know well if the screen is what's on screen is captivating enough then just like put anything music wise on there to save the costs uh you know category three and this they're all low budget affairs i mean so what can you do i don't know how i'm completely blanking on the title of it now but i watched one that was fantastic but they basically repurposed the jaws theme for it so whenever (laughs) the killer was coming out it says but it wasn't the jaws theme it was like a knockoff of it and i'm like how do they get away with this but you know they did I think there's a lot of rights problems with all those categories. <laughs> you know, uh, Hong Kong is not exactly the place for like properly licensing things, is it? Or in, it wasn't, and it, it never has been, to be honest. No, but I mean, I'm absolutely loving watching them because uh, they're all great. Even the ones that are mid are great. They're just a lot of fun. Very silly. Well, anyway, especially this- if you look at them in. The, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going on this, but like, like in, looking at those sort of films. In, in today's eyes, you know, you don't get these sort of films made nowadays. Uh, you get very good quality films made but nothing so crazy as it used to be because of all these uh well obviously uh you know things like women's rights and all that because obviously those category films aren't the most uh kind uh you know so i think people have become so so sensitive nowadays that unfortunately you can't make that sort of crazy stuff anymore well i know we're we're really on a tangent now but one of the (laughs) ones i found it came out in 2000 it was called spacked out um and it was kind of like this a coming of age film about these four young girls who are basically like raising themselves and it talks about drugs and underage sex and one of them gets pregnant and she's 13 and all this stuff and it was just amazing but it's not a horror film or or even exploitation really in any way and it made me realize that category three it's not like a genre of film it's um it's a rating right it's just a rating system yeah, so, I mean, uh, but, but it's rated at that level because uh, those films are pushing some sort of boundaries, like NC-17 or, or, or in England... Uh, 18. What's the one? Yeah. Eight, no, I think there's one above 18, isn't there? X or something. No, that's American. 
Yeah, uh, there used to be X, but I don't think it is anymore. I remember there being something above an 18, uh, but, uh, well, I guess in England they just ban it anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get back to the guard from underground. One thing I really did want to ask you um, was why you've chosen to release this one first. Because as you said, it was the last one that you got from the deal. And also it was the last film that the director's company did before it, you know, went bankrupt. So what, what was the, where was the choice in that? Well, the choice is, is I couldn't release the first director's company film in order because those first three films are like pink films. And I don't know who has the rights. And I don't really, I think if you put some, um, like obscure pink films by obscure directors as like a first of a series and people will usually turn off as you've gotten like one or two films <laughs> in the series. So yeah. it was a bit, but then again, if I put something in the middle, then it just sort of, where's the, the order to that? So I thought, well, first of all, Kurosawa is, is a well-known name. So if you're going to start off a series, you've got to start off with something that, that can grab an attention. Um, I mean, Dora is great, but Dora is a bit, is too unknown. So just I think it being the last film from the director's company makes it a bit of a sales angle as well. So uh, I can say the reason why I'm going in reverse chronological order if I start off at the last uh, and it makes it sort of work. But it's in, in the end, it's a bit sort of scatterbox. <laughs> Same as everything I do, I think. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I've got to be very careful because obviously we're, we're going to be covering all these as you release them. And I think you're doing one a month for the rest of this year. Um, and then, you know, who knows into next year. So I won't go too much into it. But I, obviously I watched Typhoon Club the other day um, for, for the Czech disc and just absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, I need to look at what else this uh, Shinji Samai has done. And he did um, uh, Sailor Suit and the Machine Gun, right? Which actually Kurosaro, I think, was assistant director on that film. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. and um, I think, you know, I th- what was the, there was I think there's a story about it maybe even on the disc or an interview in, by the producer Takashi Koma but yeah like uh, because they were all part of the sort of same group and uh, Kurosawa wanted to sort of be on his own but everyone was going after and like being with with Shinji Somai because they all thought of him as like sort of the 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 most talented of everyone and uh, mm. but but yeah Kurosawa did they all ended up being part of this director's company group just after Sailor Suit. I think Sailor Suit was like 82 or something like that. Uh, is it? Yes, maybe around that time. So then they, so my God started off his first film in the director's company as Typhoon Club, but also actually he shot Love Hotel, I think beforehand, but it was released after and uh, okay. then Luminous, Luminous Woman and all that. Uh, but uh, yeah, Shinji Somai is, uh, you know, he's really thought of as one of the greats of Japanese cinema, yet none of his films have ever really been that that available. But um, yeah, they were Crazy. all, I mean, uh, but they were all connected. For example, like on, on Guard from Underground, you have Shinji Aoyama was one of the assistant directors of it. And, uh, you know, they all helped out with each other's films here and there. And um, yeah, I, I'm sure you'll, you'll see Kurosawa pop up. I think he was also in like The Man Who Stole... Uh, the man who stole the sun, Kurosawa was like working on that and appears in the film for like as a photo for like a few minutes or, or something. And that was wow. uh, that was the man who stole the sun was directed by Hazegawa Kazuhiko, who who was the person who founded the director's company. So I guess in that everyone was a similar mindset and uh, all wanted to make crazy things, and they all made crazy things and then bankrupted the company. <laughs> I wonder if you could do a kind of director's company kind of thing now within the current climate in Japan. 
I, I mean, it couldn't get any worse than the quest. The quest <laughs> but, you know, I think the, obviously the problem is, is, you know, if you're having directors who are acting as producers in, in essence, and uh, then nobody's going to tell them when to stop and you can't do this or that. And, uh, you know, right. directors, all directors just want to do everything they can. And it's the producers who usually stop them or, or, or say, we've only got this much amount of money. And, uh, yeah, so directors would just, uh, if they're, given a free reign they, they they do crazy stuff and then that stuff doesn't sell and they end up go running out of money and uh yeah it's but but then again ishi sogo has been like that ever since like he always over goes sure. over budget on his films and uh i don't even know how he continues to make films but he still <laughs> he still seems to do it somehow uh, i think because he's such a, a legend that every there there are occasionally these producers who are just like oh i'll do anything to, to work with you to support you people like myself in essence who um who are just a bit stupid and and very and love film and uh, you support people like that and then they go over budget millions and then they bankrupt your company. But um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting um, really kind of uh, I, I don't know what I'm saying that like so basically I'm, I'm getting kind of sad at the whole prospect of losing all of these amazing directors soon. Like um, obviously uh, Takeshi Kitano, he's 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 just done his final film. Um, I don't know if have you seen it yet. Has anyone seen that? Yeah, yeah I mean, it played in Cannes and it was quite a, quite a mixed reception. But uh, to be yeah. honest, I haven't, I'm not interested in watching any Kitano films. I haven't been interested in watching Kitano for the last 20 years, to be honest. No, I know. And what I was going to say was, you know, like Takashi Miike, who's, you know, arguably my favorite director of all time, he did that first love and then he did a couple of really random kind of films after that. And he's now doing a, a like an anime TV series for Netflix, which is based on a PS2 game called Onimusha. Um, but he can't be, you know, he must be pushing like 80 now, isn't he, or something stupid like no, that? Oh, Mika's not that old. Isn't there? He's 50, is he not? 50s. I mean, Shut up. See- I'm not, I've seen photos of him. He looks like he's the Crypt Keeper now or something. Yeah, I think, well, you know, there's a lot of, you look like the Crypt Keeper right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you can catch people in a strong light. Me, I mean, if you think about it, Ishi, Ishi Sogo is like one of the oldest of those. And he's like 65. Tsukamoto oh, wow, okay. is like 63. Um, so, I mean, Kitano is obviously slightly older, but 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 then of them, I think Mike is probably in his like maybe late 50s, uh, maybe 60, but he's on, he's younger than... than than uh, Tsukamoto and Ishizogo and all that. And Ishizogo and Tsukamoto are just like mid-60s. Wow. I I completely apologize then to, to Kashimike. <laughs> I know he's made a lot of films, but he, started, he only started in the, in the 90s, for goodness sake. I mean, I guess that's what it does to you. That sort of output ages you then, I guess, because, um, yeah, he's looking a I, bit rough. But I hear his new film, actually, Lumberjack, is supposed to be quite good. And uh, Key has got like a really big role in it. Uh, I think it premieres in, in Sitges uh, uh, next month. But uh, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. I can't wait. And anyway, one, one thing I was going to say was with the Hong Kong films, they're all under 90 minutes, like all of them. And it's kind of amazingly refreshing that because Japan is very much the opposite. And they're normally north of two hours. Um, but one thing I love about this film is it's like a tight 97 minutes, I think, or something like that. So it feels it like it comes across a quite clip. It could have been under ninety, to be honest. I think uh, it's yeah. without a, without a problem. It should have been. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's quite a simple story, isn't it? It's not like it's got a load of world building to do. It's just this girl, young girl starts a new job in this office building um, with Renasugi as her manager, which is absolutely fucking awesome. Um, we could do a whole podcast series on Renasugi, I reckon. 
I've released a bunch of, isn't he? And he's he's in door door as well. Uh, although he's in door two, the pink one, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he made his start in pink films, didn't he? Yeah, basically, they all did all those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then I, it's hard to like because I don't want to spoil the film. Obviously, we're releasing this on the day of you're releasing the Blu-ray, I believe. So I don't want to talk too much about anything that goes on. But yeah, it's a sumo wrestling or ex-sumo wrestling bodyguard or security guard who just goes on this mad killing spree in the office. And yeah, I think one of the things I found interesting about... Hey? Sorry. I was saying he doesn't look like a sumo wrestler at all. No, not, yeah, not even a little bit. Um, Tom Mess was saying in his audio commentary that the literal title translation for the film is the security guard from hell. Um, and yeah, and the guard from underground is kind of like a cool, uh, translation because half the film is spent. He's like in the basement, isn't he? Or like in the, in the boiler room, so to speak of, of the office. Yeah, but I, I do think that I mean I went with the God from Underground because that was what the English title was initially. But I think like the God from Hell would have been a lot cooler actually, and that tends to sort of translate better because yes, Jigoku no Kabin is 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 yeah the, the security guard from Hell. So I don't know why I think like anything like I just went with it, and then like afterwards somebody said, "Why don't you call it for the God from Hell?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> yeah, too late now." <laughs> Well, yeah, no, yeah, I was just curious because it's listed as the guard from underground almost any, everywhere else, you know, like IMDb and Letterbox and all that stuff. So it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I got, I just got mad, mad vibes of the early Halloween films, like Halloween one and two of just like him being this Michael Myers figure. Um, but it's in an office block, which is kind of awesome. And I know I get that it's a satire on kind of office politics, right? In the nineties. Mm. Um, I guess some of that was kind of lost on me because I guess it was quite specific to Japan. <laughs> I don't know if you can speak more on that. Well, I guess, you know, it's the whole sort of the end of the bubble era, you know, when people just spending big money on, on uh, artwork in this case. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't think, of course you can overanalyze it and you can pull out all this, but I think uh, just, just, it's, it's more just a, a film just to, to switch your mind off, to be honest, uh, you know, and, and watch the kills. And there are some pretty cool kills in it. There are some pretty lame ones as well, but... um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I love the kills. I mean, yeah, again, mild spoilers, I guess. But yeah, the the, the whole locker kill sequence was mm. absolutely epic. Um, the slow and, like, very meditated uh, snapping of the arms and the legs mm. was so hard to watch. I loved that. <laughs> and... um I mean, I won't name the character, but someone gets electrocuted in a pretty awesome fashion, I thought. So, yeah, it was all really cool. It's just kind of like this this slow, savage, blunt force trauma kind of kills, which, yeah, I just, I loved it. I don't, and like you said, they weren't really making films like this in Japan, right? They were really common over in the US and the UK, but not, not in Japan. Yeah, and in that case, it does seem a little dated because, you know, those films that, we're, that he's referencing to and we're referencing are from the 70s and 80s. So... This is from the early '90s, but it, it it looks like it should be in the '70s or '80s, and maybe maybe that means it looks a bit crap or, or it looks a bit dated at the time. But uh, yeah, I guess in Japan it, there wasn't much of that, and the directors' company were a company that uh, that brought a lot of these sort of um, sort of out there films. Uh, you know, Door is one example. This is another, and um, you know, films that uh, were were new. 
for Japan. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the thing that I love most about it, if I'm if I'm going to have to pick one, is the fact that I can see so much of Kurosawa's style that he became known for in this film. And it's the first film I've seen like that that was pre-Cure, kind of basically. Um, and the way that he uses these corridors and like the, sh- the shadows and the foreground and the background, mm. um, I just thought it was just absolutely awesome. Um, and like the, the fact that the lighting, for example, like there's some of the ways that he shoots the underground sections of the film in the, in the basement, it almost looks like that boiler room nightmare thing from Freddy Krueger's, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. And again, I, like the fact that it is a B movie, but you know that this director goes on to make some of the most, well, I mean, he, he was one of the main proponents of the J horror boom. Right. Um, mm. I just find that so fascinating. And also the way that again, spending time with Sarah and Jasper um, during Fright Fest and all the J horror virus stuff, they were saying like the, the main thing that, you know, makes a J horror film. It's not just all Japanese horror. It's this kind of ghostly uh, menace that actually doesn't want to cause any harm. They just exist. So it's just the fact that these spirits are there in the room, whether it's in shadows or in, you know, cupboards or creaking stairs and things like that. Um, And I find that fascinating because this is, again, just the opposite. This is just someone that's out just to absolutely decimate people and tear them limb from uh, limb, limb. Um, which, yeah, I just thought was really fucking cool. I don't know, like... Do you like the film? I know you're always very honest about your opinions on this stuff. Like, I'm not mad about it, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of like sort of a historical aspect, I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, there are some, you know, director's company films that I really, I really don't like. Uh, I mean, this is not one of them. I think it's it's got a lot of good things about it. I think also it does look a lot better than it's ever looked, and I think that's important. Uh, if I saw this on a DVD, I might not like it as much. But uh, mm. in that really, really looking good and is, is something that, that I think in, in some films can, can be bad. If it's some low-budget low, low budget films where they look too too good or they've been cleaned up too much, it actually can can make them worse, as Jasper and, and Sarah were saying about uh, some that, that, that uh, fake documentary. Uh, what was the one? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God, I'm going to completely blank on it now. But yeah, another one you mean, Jack, Jack, yes. Jack, Jack Ray or something like that. Some, something like that with a J, yeah. That yeah. you know, when they when things are digitally cleaned up too well, they can look too bad. Mm. But I think in this case, uh, it actually looks, it really, really improves on it. And um, yeah, when I first saw it back uh, on DVD, um, the Arts and Magic release uh, from whenever that was, I wasn't that big of a fan of it. But when I rewatched it for this release, I, I, I liked it uh, more than that. I don't think it's a fantastic film, but I don't think it's a bad film. So uh, anyway, the, the next few releases uh, go up in strength uh, with Door and Typhoon <laughs> Club. So, um, you know, it, it's it's the start of the end of, of uh, the director's company. That's another thing that's interested me, that it was the, the kind of final thing in the director's company set is... Um, because apparently it didn't do great upon its first release, but it really found its audience on the home video circuit and it made all its money back then. But if the company had already gone under, what happens with all that money, right? Like, is that go to the producers directly or how does that no, work? I don't think, I don't think anybody, because I don't speak to a lot of directors who are involved with these, these releases for the director's company. They were all saying that like, none of them, they didn't even get paid anything oh, for really? a lot of those films they, they worked on. And this is, I'm sure the same, but, um, 
in this case, you know, with the directness company when it went under, you had this distributor called Atene Francais, and you also had Nietzsche Agency who bought the rights of the directors company, and therefore the the success of it afterwards went the money went to them. I'd imagine uh, uh, directors yeah in Japan never have even nowadays don't get paid well if the film is successful. So I'm sure <laughs> back then they got paid even less. And and yes, for, from listening to some of the directors, they got paid nothing uh, in most of these cases. That's insane. Because I mean, it makes you think, because I know that like that one of the reasons everyone wanted to get into film back in the day and, and still to a degree now was for fame and money, right? But like these directors weren't really making anything. And actually it sounds like it was more of a nightmare to, to, to do anything within the industry. Uh, I wonder, I think, I think that, that fame and money goes to people that are, who want to be in front of the camera. But most people that, that I know or, or most people you speak of that are from directors, they get on it because they have all these ideas and they want to do stuff. And in most cases, like if somebody gives them the money to make the film, that's just all they can ask for. And that's what they're happy for. I mean, even right. nowadays when you speak to directors, it's like, more about them, their, their, I mean, some established directors will obviously have just want to the money to do a film if they're asked to. But, but even in those cases, like, you know, they have all these ideas of things they want to make. Like, and if you help them make, get those ideas into a film, then, then they're happy enough as is, whether they get paid a lot afterwards. So it's, yeah, it's not always like that, to be honest. No, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> I just guess like a distribution channel is the hard thing, isn't it? Like, cause you say so many things. I like even Sarah was saying, she hopes it doesn't just get picked up by some streamer, this J horror virus, because she kind of wants it out there in the world uh, on a physical release, but that's becoming more and more rare these days. I guess that's why it's so important with what you do. Yeah. And I guess the, that's why this packaging and, and making it part of a series is also big uh, i guess in the minds of people uh you know if it's just god from underground kurosawa kiyoshi's film that is not as good as like some of his other more established films as a solo release i don't think people are gonna be that interested in getting into it but when it's part of this series of of a, a company or or a selection of works like that i think it part becomes uh you know you want to find out about all of them so yeah I mean, like I said, the reaction has been insane from what I've seen, like more than, you know, most of the previous ones you've done over the last few months. This seems to be like a big, big deal. Is it selling quite well already? I think it's selling okay, but, you know, like like anything, you know, it, you know, I, even like Katsuhito Ishii, all that reaction is still like, I'm still like minus 2,000 pounds on it. So, you know, <laughs> it, it still takes a while to actually recoup all these, these costs. But I guess, you know, the, the Directors Company series, you know, you know, it all looked good together on a, on a, on a shelf. And I think people always want to be a part of that. And, uh, I mean, in these cases, actually the God from underground is probably the, the smallest, uh, because it was a film that has, has been released on DVD before and, mm. uh, coming up through the next things like, like door and, and typhoon club, we're talking about films that have never been out there outside of Japan and, and door even never is in Japan. So those are obviously a lot more, uh, holy grails in that respect. Amazing. Okay, well, so this one is coming out. So I guess we're releasing this on the twenty fifth, are we? Uh, which is is that the release official release date of the Blu Ray? Yes, yes. Uh, I also just want to mention, I guess, like the the bonus features on this. Um, of course, I, oh, yeah. I mentioned the uh, 
the Tokyo Film Festival talk where Kurosawa spends uh, the whole time not talking about this film. But um, like the person, what what I really the the person who who discovered actually this maybe this is one of the reasons why I put the Guard from Underground as the first release because on that the disc of Guard from Underground is an interview with uh, Takashi Koma, the person who discovered all these films. Uh, mm. Coincidentally, he was the producer of Guard from Underground, but. You know, when trying to co- contextualize how all these films got out there or are able to be out put out there now with the new masters, um, is 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 his work. I wanted to make that as the front and center. So the interview with him on on this uh, first release of the series uh, will, will help uh, sort of give a little background information about the director's company, and um, and then I think there's there's less and less actually interviews in talking about the director's company once the uh, series starts. So. This is probably oh. that's that's why, yeah. Okay, no, that makes sense. So the next one that you've got coming up is the door and door two, um, which is in October. Is that right? Yeah, on on day before Halloween, October the thirtieth. But they'll be playing at the Gr- at Grimfest in Manchester on I think October the sixth, and then Mayhem Film Festival uh, in Nottingham. Um, that's uh, I think October the fifteenth or so. So a couple cinema screenings before the, the blu-rays out there amazing and then what typhoon club is that december or november do you know november yet? november the 25th i believe oh or cool around a month before christmas and is that is that it for your roster for 2023 yeah yeah because you know december is is not really a good time to put out stuff and uh i think i'll just wait till the end of january which is mad cats will be the one after of course yeah no i've still not seen that but um i followed the guy on on twitter he seems really fun like he seems like a cool bloke oh he's he's cool and the film is is well fun and also after releasing all these classics of japanese genre cinema i think balancing that with a brand new japanese genre film is is a good way to i always like to have a balance and have uh you know a mix of old and new when i release films so i've got a few new films at the beginning of the year before going back to more directors company films for sure i mean i still don't, i don't really know anything about mad cats but from what i've read uh it sounds like it's kind of coming at uh, action from the similar vein of you know like baby assassins those kind mm. of crazy over the top uh martial arts but done in quite a kind of mumblecore fashion um it sounds really cool yeah it's not as sort of hipster as uh, baby assassins but um right. I think it's a lot better than than, than those uh, films. I, I I much prefer it. Awesome. Um, well, look, we we were like talking about how long we're going to make these episodes. Sometimes we drag them out longer than usual, but going to try and keep them short and snappy this time, and just give as much insight into the films as possible. Um, I I know people want me to ask you this, and I know you're probably going to hate it, but is there any other director's company films? that you've got coming up. You don't have to name them if you don't want to, but do we have some more coming? I just said, you know, after I release the few new films at the early part of the year, I'll have more director's company films after. So, uh, yes, I do have um, some set for probably April, May and June, or May, June, July, three more films that are are confirmed. Two are confirmed and one is nearly confirmed. So, um, yes, the the, the series will continue. And the next ones are are quite good ones as well. (laughs) amazing okay well yeah i mean 
I can't wait to see how this all gets picked up, how people, I mean, like I said, the responses have been great. I think the people that have seen it already on press discs or whatever, and because you haven't screened this one at any festivals, have you? You haven't bothered with this one. But actually the ICA played it um, at, they played it for like a like midnight screening or something like that. Uh, and like, like 10 people went. Um, so it did get a play in, but, um, and then I think today, well, not, not today or, or yesterday or, or on September the 24th, uh, maybe the, the day before this goes out, um, it's playing at uh, the, the Power Cinema, I think, in Derby, at the Quad Cinema in Derby. They have a film festival and it's playing there. Okay. But otherwise, yes, um, it's, it's just um, mainly the video and the digital. I mean, I say this all the time. I mean, I I feel so privileged to be able to see these films, you know, at, at all. But seeing this on the big screen would be so epic. Like, because again, it looks amazing. And I think horror films in the cinema are the way you should see them because they're like so in your face. Anyway, um, are you still you're active on social media? <laughs> or are you, you backing off a bit? Because obviously X is kind of going down the toilet at the moment. I'm not really sure what the hell's going on with it. Yeah, I mean, I set up an account on Threads and then, like, I yeah, gave no. up quite. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, I've, I've had enough. I mean, yeah, I'm what, what to do, what to do. I've I've just started up on Blue Sky um, because I heard the news that Elon Musk's going to start charging everyone to use Twitter um, or X, sorry. Um, and whilst I... You know, not entirely against the idea of having to pay for a service that you know takes a lot of work. Like, I just don't. I don't think it's it's right, and I think it's going to probably be like something like four ninety nine a month or something stupid like that, um, which just seems ridiculous, especially in the cost of living crisis. So yeah, I'm going to try Blue Sky for a bit. I I don't even know what Blue Sky is to be honest. <laughs> I don't, what is it? All right. Well, it was set up as a a kind of direct copy of Twitter when Elon Musk took over uh, and it's invite only. So, you know, you get a code from someone who vouches for you. And then, you know, so the idea is the community expands only from people who you want to be in there. And it's a way to kind of keep out, you know, bots or trolls and all this sort of shit. But wasn't there something like that? Like, like half a year ago that everyone was talking about. And then like before threads, there was some other like social media platform that was (laughs) probably (laughs) like, Probably. I remember there was something like uh, that 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 wasn't easy to get on, and like all the, you had to be on some certain servers that um that were it was like a sort of Bitcoin type thing where people were sharing the servers so that the uh, I don't know, but um I don't think uh, yeah it's all gonna last long and all that, but uh, for, I just hope that that something like Twitter can just continue on and I don't have to fucking start again. I know. <laughs> I'm still on it, yeah, because, like I said, you and I both kind of used it as our primary social media for, for, for so many years. Um, well, I used Facebook for primary for years, and that's had my most followers, and then, like, like if I put a post, like, three people reads it. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's because you don't pay for the views, which, again, is just this insane model that we've got going at the moment now obviously i'm working marketing so like having to manage any client's social media channels is a nightmare unless they've got budget for sponsored posts and even then it's hard sell anyway we're going on loads of tangents here (laughs) okay cool well so i hope everyone picks up this new release um 
I can't wait to see what comes next. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Door and Door 2 next time as well because they are mad. Mm. Um, and I think they came out the same year as uh, Evil Dead Trap, didn't they? Or at least the first one did. Yeah, 88. So that in itself is such a fascinating thing because those two films as a double bill are just mental. And uh, yeah, man, it's just all good. All right, well, you can find us wherever you find us. I don't know what social media platforms will be running when this goes live. Um, <laughs> message us on um, anywhere if you want any questions read out or you have any questions about the film for Adam because, you know, I try my best to ask insightful questions, but there's always room for more. Um, so, yeah, just hit us up where you can. Cool. All right, Adam, well, I'll catch you next time. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon on the Third Window Films podcast. the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third window from the right two flights up that's the one with the shape pulled down